0: It's time to party. This is a no-holds-barred celebration of being alive. America WK, with your friend and mine, Andrew WK, on
2: the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, welcome to a brand new episode of America WK. My name is Andrew WK, and as always, it is my sincere privilege and pleasure to be with you today today saturday i'm actually playing a concert with my full rock and roll band in alaska anchorage alaska to be exact and believe it or not and i can barely believe it this is my first time ever being in alaska let alone playing here in all of my 15 years of traveling the world as a professional partier and live concert musician. It's as far as I can remember the only state in the United States of America that I haven't been to. I think we've played everywhere else. I've certainly visited everywhere else or gone through everywhere else, but had never been to Alaska. And I'm not, Happy about that, but I'm certainly happy that finally we have made our way here thanks to a very kind invitation from the people of Alaska to have us come play. And what a great time of the year it is to visit here. At least if you're someone like me who likes the winter and likes the cold weather, likes what Alaska specializes in, this is fantastic especially considering the fact that over the past couple weeks I had been on tour in the northeastern United States as part of my sort of unofficially annual holiday tour tradition. I mean, I never set out to make it a tradition to tour around uh, this time of the year, but it's become a tradition. I recorded our last episode while on the road and uh, the shocking thing about being on tour during December in the northeastern United States of America is that there was no snow. It wasn't even cold. I was walking around at times with a short sleeve t shirt on outside at night, perfectly comfortable. At times, I had the air conditioning on in hotel rooms to avoid overheating. Now, I think part of that is due to the fact that as soon as it is officially considered. Cold weather season, people start kicking on the heat. I don't know if you've noticed that. I definitely noticed it in the airports. That, uh, of course, you'd think that being December, it would be very cold in Detroit, Michigan, and that the Detroit airport would have to have the heat on. But actually, it was 60 degrees, so they didn't really need the heat on at all. It was more or less room temperature as far as the temperature I enjoy, but I think there's a mental state. Your mind associates this time of year with cold. Having grown up and lived uh, the majority of my life in cold weather cities or towns, you just assume that it's cold and you kind of go through the motions associated with that assumption. So there was a lot of heat on what I don't think it needed to be on probably because people just turn it on as a tradition. I mean, some of the hotels we were staying in on this last tour did not offer air conditioning. They just had it shut off. I mean, I would have the wall thermostat set to a very cold temperature, as cold as it would go, with the cool setting and the fan blasting as high as I could get it, but only hot air would come out of the vent. Clearly, the entire building... Uh, had adjusted these settings to only allow for hot air. It was very uncomfortable. In that situation, I tried to open the window. As you may be aware of, uh, this fact that most hotels now, I think largely because of insurance concerns, do not allow you to open their windows. This is a big problem for me. I've read uh, a lot of other complaints from travelers who refuse to stay in a hotel if they cannot open the window. I imagine they experience some sort of uh, claustrophobia. I actually like that claustrophobic feeling. Or what I mean to say is, the feeling that people get that experience claustrophobia, I imagine... I'm getting those same feelings, I just happen to enjoy them. I enjoy feeling closed in. Uh, I enjoy what I would consider kind of coziness or tight spaces. Now, this is why I've enjoyed traveling uh, a great deal, because one way or another, at least the way I've traveled, I've tended to be uh, in relatively small areas, whether it's an airplane seat or an airplane itself could be considered rather claustrophobic for someone or a train, or a car, or a hotel room, or a bus. Uh, the tour bus, especially if you're living on a traveling tour bus with 12 other people, as I have traveling the world with my band, I just couldn't be happier on a tour bus. And uh, you sleep in a, in a bunk bed that I would say is uh, about one quarter of the size of a traditional queen size bed and about half the size of a traditional child's bunk bed, even smaller if you consider how much uh sort of headroom you have, you are in what some would call a coffin like space, and when the curtain is closed on this bus bunk, you really are in a coffin like space, especially if there's an accident and then you perish, then you're already in your coffin. God forbid, but I' like all those things always have and i think actually uh many feelings that some people don't like i think others like and it's not that they experience them differently they just like that exact feeling a very good example would be spicy food now i don't think well okay let me start over there are people who build up a tolerance Spicy food, especially if you're a smoker, a heavy uh, drinker of alcohol, there are uh, you know ways to fry your taste buds. But I think actually people who like spicy food don't really want to have too much of a tolerance because they enjoy the burn. If you're someone who likes roller coaster rides, I don't think that you experience them any differently in terms of the physical sensation. That uh, a person who doesn't like roller coaster rides experiences them as they probably are more or less the same sensations, just one person thinks those are bad and the other person thinks those sensations are great. I think my mom was very, very, very thoughtful and made a very strange but uh, wonderful choice when I was a very young child to train me to teach me, to almost force me to enjoy the feelings of your stomach going up in your throat, uh, of, of turning upside down, of spinning round and round and round. She would teach me that those were good feelings. We would go out into the yard and she would grab my wrists and spin me round and round and round and round. Or I would uh, be encouraged by her to twirl in a circle, you know, standing standing and spinning around uh, either uh, on my feet or maybe sitting in a swivel chair. And she would say, see, isn't that a fun feeling? Getting dizzy, isn't that fun? And I would you know, probably not really know what to think of it, but with her encouragement, her direction, I was able to interpret those feelings as good, that that was a fun sensation. We would go into the swimming pool, and she would have me do somersaults under the water. She called them dizzy dives to get me used to that sensation and not only get used to it, but to actually appreciate it. And I think seeing my mom smiling and laughing herself in that setting, enjoying those uh, sensations herself made me feel a lot better and safer about them. Now, if I had seen her, cringing or avoiding the feeling of dizziness, if I saw her very afraid of roller coaster rides or other carnival rides or anything uh, associated with that sensation, of course, I probably would have followed her lead as children tend to do. So thank you very, very much, Mom, for teaching me to like those odd physical sensations, those feelings of being sort of freaked out, I guess. And I got hooked on it. I think that's been the story of my life. I have gotten hooked on feeling freaked out, overwhelmed, uh, panicked, uh, uh, stressed, afraid, and uh, and having my mind blown. That's the best way to sum it up. And it's made for a very interesting experience, a very interesting life so far. It's America WK. We're going to go into all kinds of stuff today. Stay with me. (laughs) America WK,
0: with your host, Andrew WK, on the Blaze Radio Network.
1: This podcast brought to you by My Patriot Supply. Did you miss the chance to get a 72-hour emergency food supply with free shipping for just 10 bucks? What's wrong with you? Don't worry, call 888-411-7440 right now. They have a few left and they're selling out fast. 888-411-7440. What are you waiting for? A disaster? Do it right now. 888-411-7440.
0: Now, the king of partying himself, your friend and mine, Andrew
2: W.K., Welcome back to American WK. This is Andrew WK. During the break there, as I often do, I review what I just said. I go back over the rambling stream of semi-subconscious blather that made up the entire first segment there and try to make some kind of sense out of it, try to uh, find out what is the problem here, uh, With what I'm saying, it's quite disturbing and upsetting. And one of the things I just found is, uh, you know, many uh, hypocritical statements, many contradictions. The first and foremost uh, one I'd like to point out is that despite having just said that I like claustrophobic feelings, uh, on this past tour where I was playing uh, my party music in live venues uh, across the Northeast, There actually were many situations in which I did have uh, small moments of panic in a rather claustrophobic way. Both times, these occurred in restaurants. Now, I don't know if this is something unique to restaurants or uh, at least my situation, because I can't really imagine this happening anywhere else, at least for me. Uh, I think this is something particular two restaurants. Um, I'm not going to say the names of these restaurants. One of them was a large national chain that I enjoy frequently, as I imagine you may have. You can probably imagine what it is. It's one of the few national chains. It's not fast food. It is a proper sit down, uh, dining establishment, not quite a diner, not quite a traditional restaurant, one that I enjoy a lot. Uh, but, uh, have had some unpleasant experiences there, not due to the food, not necessarily due to the service, but just due to the atmosphere. And it's strange because in these chain restaurants, the atmosphere is is intentionally designed to be very consistent or to try and ensure as much consistency as possible. But the things you can't account for are things like temperature. Or I guess, you know, again, we have climate control, but these seem to be rather challenging things to master because one person's way too warm is another person's way too cold and vice versa. Uh, volume, the intensity of chatter, uh, hollering, yelling, uh, excitement in general can become oppressive. Uh, the smell of a location, the smell of an establishment, especially at a restaurant, that becomes very intense. The other food, the people there, yourself, yourself, I think most of the bad uh, smell experiences I've had going around were actually smelling myself. Sometimes realizing that it was the smell of my own face that was bothering me. I said, where is that smell coming from? This kind of sour, cheese-like, old milk smell mixed with a bit of bile. The smell of vomit, but almost worse than vomit because... It was just a little bit appetizing at the same time, if that's possible. And I'm trying to find where this smell is coming from. And uh, I'm tracking it. And I'm starting at first from a distance, going around, looking uh, at the floors. Maybe something was spilled. Is there something in the corner? Is there a dead animal underneath the bed or out of sight somewhere And you keep zeroing in and zeroing in like a sonar pinpointing with GPS tracking-like precision. I mean, the nose is very powerful. And I pride myself on a a pretty good sense of smell. And I can usually identify not only what the smell is, but where it's coming from. And so you can imagine the horror of realizing that this terrible, awful smell That I couldn't find wasn't coming from some object or some place or something outside of me. It was coming from my own face. In fact, it was coming from my upper lip, the area immediately beneath my nose. It couldn't have, it might as well have been in my nose. I was smelling the inside of my own nose and it smelled terrible. Now, I think I had eaten a large amount of pizza. Uh, earlier that day and perhaps I drank some milk at the same time and if you've ever experienced certain kinds of pizza grease or cheese grease has this particular smell but who am I kidding it obviously was something to do with me too I mean I was uh, having a a negative chemical reaction to my own body I was I was sickened and nauseated by my own endorphins like uh, you were allergic to yourself basically what a horrible situation to be in but at least I realized what it was and then I tried to scrub and wash my body wash my face I inhaled soapy water into my nose which caused a lot of sneezing but I actually think the sneezing helped to blow out whatever that uh, pungent Oil That that sweet, slicked oil residue that had deeply saturated itself into the the very fabric of my being. It was just a very upsetting, upsetting situation. And unfortunately, I experienced something similar to that recently at a couple of restaurants on this tour where I had to leave. And I was not eating alone, so it was quite rude. I stayed as long as I could. I, I humbly... Explained that I simply could not stay there it was a combination of extreme heat. The restaurant, in my opinion, being much too warm, probably uh, over eighty five degrees. that heat, as you may be familiar with that heat enhances the smells of everything it 's one of the great things about cold weather, especially if you 're living in the city like New York City. It really helps to suppress. The stink of the city, but that wet, hot, humid air inside this restaurant was just uh, empowering every smell and, and, and bonding on to every molecule uh, and, and, and amplifying its its aroma, plus it was also quite loud and quite stuffy, so that even with all that heat, in addition, there was no air circulation, even if there had just been a, a fan on to move the air to create the impression. Of, of sort of a cool breeze, even if it was still a hot breeze, that would have been better better than nothing. I had to, to get out. I, I'd left. I waited outside in the cool, crisp, refreshing air. And I'm not proud of this. This to me is a, a sort of a moment of failure. Now, no one was forcing me to stay in there. No one was expecting me to stay in there. The person I was eating with really could care less if I stayed or or went outside I mean it really wasn't that big of a deal but I still did not feel good about this kind of being pushed to that limit by something so seemingly silly as temperature or smell or just atmosphere so I take that back I take back what I said earlier there are moments when I have completely cracked in a claustrophobic way and that's a perfect example but then there's strange things like I'm perfectly comfortable, almost happy, in a porta potty, in blazing heat, blazing summer heat, st- stench that is almost, almost so 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 strong that it kind of cancels itself out, like your body just shuts down the smell ability. You can't smell because there's too much to smell, and that doesn't bother me at all. I I, I actually seek out porta potties. I'm not proud of that either. It's America WK. Who knows what's going on?
0: A party for being alive. This is America WK with Andrew WK on the Blaze Radio Network. Buck Sexton.
1: I can't even tell you. I was. I was. I even did an interview for a, for a show over there that was taped. And they did not run it. And I think it was because I was so strident in my saying that Chattanooga was obviously terrorism. And anybody who claims to be a counterterrorism expert and says otherwise is either trying to curry favor with the administration and the Democrats and the left or isn't a very good expert. Buck Sexton. Weekdays, noon to 3
0: p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to America WK
2: with Andrew WK. Welcome back to America WK. I'm Andrew WK. Again, great to be with you today. So close to the holidays. I mean, I guess we're in the holidays. I don't like the idea that it's just one day or a string of days. This whole month is the holidays. And I would like to say that all of next month, too, January, the whole New Year's, that, that, that New Year should count for the whole month. I don't like it when they're over so fast. And especially New Year's because there's that big countdown. Uh, my rock band and I are actually playing in Boston on New Year's Eve, kicking into our set right at midnight. We've actually played shows these past two years, which again, I've, I'd always wanted to do, but we would never really made it a tradition. I want to make it clear in case you're not aware uh, for example, today, as I said earlier, my band and I are playing in Alaska. And people had asked us, why don't you play in Alaska? Why didn't you come here before? It's our first time ever coming here. Because we were never asked before. I think there's a, an impression that I s- certainly used to have that if you were in a band or if you're a performer or a musician, you just could go wherever you want. Well, you can to a degree, especially if you're playing on the street or something, but you also have to be invited to an extent. Uh, there's many different capacities with which, within which to tour and to play, but there usually has to be some kind of formal invitation, a formal offer with a venue and a promoter. If you're just working in the very traditional end of the business, as I have tended to, you Don't go where you're not invited. And in addition to that, you don't want to go there if you're not invited because the odds are no one's gonna be there to come to your show. No one's gonna want to come party with you. I mean you can go there and play for no one, which does have its own unique qualities from my own experience. Those are always interesting shows to play for one or two people. Those are in fact are some of the most memorable. But most people agree that it's best to go uh, where people want you to go. So uh, there's still been many places around the world where we've more or less just not been invited to go. And again, I'm not proud of that. I'm not particularly ashamed. I, have, I would say I'm just disappointed. But hey, there is something fantastic about having uncharted territory to still explore, to still have something ahead of us in life. It is not my custom to go where I'm not wanted. So with that being said, I want to go to these places. I just have to uh, have the favor returned and be asked. So yeah, uh, anyway, touring is full of ups and downs. And man, there are moments on that stage. And I've talked to you about this before. But uh, just having completed this tour and just about to go into a show today, you really can be pushed To your limit, and when I say that, I mean uh, a type of all-encompassing limit—a physical limit, an emotional limit, a mental limit. You reach failure on every level, multiple times. I would say even multiple times, not within even one show, multiple times within one song. Now, this, of course, is depends on the style of music, but I think any style of music, uh, to a degree, demands moments of intense. Effort. Even the most mellow music, there's always some trials and tribulations in this uh, this particular experience. And uh, some of these styles of music, particularly the kind that I have chosen to play, or I've been chosen to play, involves a, a lot of effort, especially physical effort. And then when you're in that mode. Of giving all you have physically. You feel in a way like you have a lot less to give in these other areas. You have a lot less patience. I mean if you've ever been pushing yourself very hard while exercising. You'll notice the irritations. The littlest things will cause irritations. That otherwise you wouldn't even notice. Like the uh, if you're running. Sprinting as fast as you can. On the street. And some car comes by with particularly noxious Exhaust fumes that really hit you. You know, someone who probably should adjust their carburetor or something. It's it's very obvious that this car needs some kind of work. When you're pushing yourself, that just can drive you completely up the wall. And likewise, while performing, if there are technical problems, like the speakers aren't loud enough or my keyboard is malfunctioning or I'm malfunctioning, Or even just the mic stand is just a slightly bit crooked. In the heat of the moment when you are pushing with all your physical might, those things can feel like almost insurmountable obstacles. They're no longer even little irritations. It's like running through uh, quicksand. It takes every bit of effort on every level. Just to even do anything, let alone to try to do it well, let alone to try to put on a show, let alone to try to uh, uh, aim for that perfect ideal kind of transcendent excitement and energy and beauty and power that you're trying to give yourself and give the music and give other people that are there. It takes all you have and then some. It takes more than what you have. You have to be more than you are. And I think actually music can do that to us. Music can make us feel like more of a person than we even are. The best of what we have suddenly becomes all that we are. But at the same time, those weaknesses, man, the frustrations. I mean, I've talked to you about frustration before. I've been in the throes of severe frustration while being on the radio with you. You could probably hear it. And that's happened live so many times. And you're, you're, you're faced, you're at this perpetual crossroads at that moment, meaning it's not a crossroad where you just go down one side or the other or have a, a choice between stopping and not stopping. You're constantly faced with, can I keep going or will I give up? Can I push through this frustration or am I going to not quite have that level of strength? And you're debating this with yourself, you know, split second to split second through this song. Or, again, imagine that you're sprinting, running a race, or doing some other very strenuous activity. Uh, There's been times, I'm sure you can think of some, I mean, even in moments of great uh, physical illness. Like the time I had uh, food poisoning, and I was talking with you, doing an episode Laying on the (laughs) the floor, not even sure how I could utter a single word, let alone be with you for an entire broadcast. And you're taking it moment by moment, split second by split second. You pass one obstacle only to find another one immediately behind it. You come to a fork in the road and go one direction only to find that it leads to an immediate additional fork in the road it's in those moments that we find out really what we're made of and i can say most of the time i'm not too happy with what i found out that i was made of but at least i saw it for all it was and wasn't and then you can at least know what you're working with or have some idea of what you need to improve where you can go or what you have to 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 build upon something is better than nothing Because, again, it's like a wave. That frustration is like a wave. That rage is like a wave. And it will either crush you and drown you, or you can ride it and surf it and use it to propel you. It's America WK. Stay with me. You're listening to America WK with Andrew
0: WK on the Blaze Radio Network. Jay Severin. And the fact that they have bacon and eggs for breakfast will cause people to riot and throw out the president of the college and spend tens of millions of
2: dollars to build a a separate, you know, off-campus cafeteria for pigs who like bacon. You have no idea what's about to happen. I don't either. But I have a whiff of it.
0: Jay Severin. Weekdays, 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern on The Blaze Radio Network. radio show restoring your faith in humanity through the power of positive partying this is America WK with
2: Andrew WK welcome back to America WK this is Andrew WK we've been all over the place today and the show feels like it's barely even started just going uh, off on many different tangents but it's just good to be able to talk with you this is really the only chance I have to talk with anyone like this and i don't take that for granted at all largely because you can't really talk back and that's well there's there's good things and maybe not so good things about that um, but perhaps m- more what i mean to say is you know it's easy for you to shut me up just stop listening but if you've listened at all to any of these episodes uh, i really do thank you it's so special for me to have this chance to be with you and again I don't know if I've said this before, but it's not like talking to a wall. Could I do this without broadcasting? Gosh, you know, I don't even know. I don't know what it would be like to uh, just sit in a room and talk to no one. I kind of feel like we each do that already. We just don't utter the words. We have those conversations with ourselves inside our head constantly. But there's something uh, magically and mysteriously powerful about letting those words come out. And I don't think of it necessarily as therapy, as though, uh, I guess, in the traditional sense. However, I have realized undeniably therapeutic qualities to my time here with you. Certainly for me, golly, I hope there's something kind of therapeutic for you. Just again, even if it's boy, I am glad I don't have these same uh, issues that this guy does. But there's just something good about it. What's interesting is sometimes when I have talked to other people, um, sometimes friends, oftentimes people I'm working with, I've severely regretted it and just wished I hadn't opened my mouth about all kinds of stuff. And there's something strange about that too because... Much in the way that talking with you right now has this sort of uplifting feeling for me, sometimes talking about things is almost like a curse. It seems like the words give power to not necessarily the best thoughts. And when you utter them, it amplifies them and turns them into something more than they were. We've talked before about the difference between thinking bad, speaking bad, and acting bad. And clearly, it all starts with the thought, is amplified by the word, and then reaches its full negative potential in the deed or the action. So maybe that's sometimes why it doesn't feel that good to just open your mouth to someone and just ramble on. No, I don't like to get too hard on myself when it comes to those situations because then you just create a, a spiral of frustration. And f- you start to feel bad about opening up. You start to feel bad about feeling bad about opening up and so on and so, f- so forth. But I, I've definitely learned to catch myself and say, maybe, maybe this just doesn't need to be said. Maybe I can just keep this thought to myself not only in the sense of if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. But also that uh, some of these things are best worked on on our own. Now, I'll say that with a complete disclaimer, being that I'm not a professional anything other than a professional partier, I'm barely a professional me, barely a professional at being myself, so uh, I, I really have no uh, position or no authority to tell anyone what to do. This is just from my own experience. But I sometimes really think that the whole f- reason we have the ability to think and to think for ourselves and to think to ourselves is so that we can think about ourselves inside and work these things out. It can maybe be easier to think about them when we open up or discuss them or utter them, but I don't know that it's always necessary. And in those quiet moments of contemplation or almost sort of an active meditation, because again, there's this idea that meditation is not thinking about anything and just focusing on your breathing and focusing on nothing. I'm not uh, discounting any of that, by the way, but there's all kinds of meditating. Meditating can also be focusing on a very particular thing, a situation, uh, a truth, a feeling, uh, uh, an an inkling or a hunch, and turning that inkling or hunch into an understanding or a revelation, and with enough honesty, the kind of honesty that only, in my opinion, really comes from within. When you kind of reach out into yourself, if that makes any sense at all, the paradoxical concept there does ring true. You reach out deeper in with this type of fearless honesty that only seems attainable because it is completely personal and internal. It is yours. There's nothing to be afraid about because this is all within you. You're safe within your own self. And there, all these quote-unquote problems reveal themselves to be symbolic of something much more beautiful than a wrongness. They're a chance to unfold ourselves. So hopefully, I'm unfolding more than just myself here with you. America WK, please stay with me. This
0: is America WK, hosted by your friend and mine, Andrew WK. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Coming up today on Patents Two. Police recently shut down and searched three mosques in paris
2: now we haven't done this in america maybe we need to look into at least what's going on at some of the mosques i'm not saying shut them down unless you find something here's what they found more war grade weaponry in these three mosques than they normally find in a year in paris
0: pat and Stu, weekdays at 5 p.m eastern on the blaze radio network It's time to party. This is a no-holds-barred celebration of being alive. America WK, with your friend and mine, Andrew WK, on the Blaze
2: Radio Network. Welcome back. It's America WK, and it's still Andrew WK. Now, I've already admitted we've been uh, a little, well, perhaps a lot, all over the place today. But that's uh, par for the course, Uh, the tradition with this show, if there is one. Usually is centered around the things that I've been thinking about since last time we talked. I'll make notes throughout the week. Uh, Most of the good stuff or the uh, notable stuff I'm able to remember or something will occur to me as we're talking or perhaps right before we're talking, and I just kind of go through it. Well, we've done that. And now, here, halfway through today's episode, I've decided to tell you a story. Now, I've had this in the back of my mind and actually written down and almost had planned on telling you this story uh, during many episodes, but either didn't get around to it or sort of second guessed myself or decided to save it and save it and save it and save it again. Well, today I've decided I finally want to tell you this story, not for any particular reason other than... I have nothing else I want to to talk to you about. And I don't really have that many good stories. In fact, this is probably the only good story that I think I have, in my opinion. And I say that because I have a lot of friends who have incredible stories. In fact, every time I see them, they have about a dozen more. And they have so many stories uh, that other people tell their stories. I have friends with so many good personal stories that I often up just telling stories about them, because I don't have that many good ones. I also think I'm not necessarily very good at telling stories. And I say that out of uh, respect for master storytellers. And you can tell a master storyteller by someone who not only has a good story, but actually has kind of bad stories, but tells them so well that they turn into good stories. So I would like to make another disclaimer that not only is this not necessarily like the greatest story of all time, it's really only the greatest story that I have. And in addition to that, I'm not a very good storyteller. So I'm not going to be able to give it that perfect ending or that uh, amazing twist or uh, kind of moment of tension and release and climax. It's, It's going to probably be a little all over the place as this whole episode has been. But nevertheless... Let's just finally get this story told. Because for whatever reason, I haven't told it very much in general. Not just on America WK, obviously, I haven't told it. But I haven't told it in many interviews. I've had you know, many chances over the years to tell this story publicly. I think I have somewhere. But I actually can't remember specifically uh, ever really having a chance to tell it. Because it's a bit long-winded. It's a bit winding, and it really has very little to do with anything uh, that most people seem interested in talking about. But I don't care, because this is my show, and I get to talk about whatever I want. That's the best thing about the show, or perhaps the worst thing. Nevertheless, here's this story. Well, I moved from uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan, where I spent most of my uh, young years, age 4 to 18. I moved from there. To New York City at age 18 now initially I had planned on going to college but uh, quickly realized that that was not what I was meant to do for all kinds of reasons but I was still in New York City now with much less direction than I had arrived there with still at that time age 18 still contemplating possibly going to college I had thought I would go to art school, but I really did not like the idea of going to school at that time. It just descended upon me as a clear thing not to do. So uh, I was thinking about other jobs I could get or doing this or that or the other. Um, I just wanted to do something big. So I remained in New York, I got in an apartment, I was living there with my uh, high school girlfriend who had also moved from Michigan to New York City with me, and we were walking one day down the street in Manhattan in a neighborhood called Soho, in fact on uh, the street called Grand Street. I remember all of the details to this story as though it were yesterday, as though every moment of this story was a photograph and I don't remember things that well. Oh, well, actually, I do remember things quite clearly, just not when they happened. And uh, sort of my timeline is usually foggy. But with this story, it's all shockingly clear. So we were walking down Grand Street from uh, east to west, headed over to 6th Avenue. And as we approached 6th Avenue, in fact, this was a a, a remarkable street because there was a, a diner for many years very near this uh, area, called Moon Dance, uh, Moon Dance Diner. In fact, that uh, diner was used as a notable location in the first Spider-Man movie. I think it was the first one, uh, where Mary Jane worked. I believe the diner's gone now. It was a great place. Well, anyway, as we were walking along Grand Street, my girlfriend and I, age 18... Headed towards 6th Avenue, I noticed a FedEx medium-sized box lying in the gutter, lying on the street next to the sidewalk in the litter-strewn gutter. Now, at this time in my life, and actually to this very day, I tend to keep my eyes downward cast, especially when walking around in New York City for whatever reason, it was A bit overwhelming, but there was also just a lot of stuff on the ground, um, a lot of cracks, uneven pavement. It wasn't, you know, a bad idea to kind of keep your eyes peeled for obstacles. It also wasn't necessarily such a bad idea to kind of just keep your head down and move along. You didn't want to make, at least for me at that age, I did not want to make too much eye contact with too many people. It was a lot of intensity city was more intense at that time. You know, The further you go, you go back in New York City, the more intense it gets. So there was a lot of stuff to look at, and uh, my eyes immediately caught this FedEx box. But not in any kind of remarkable way, because you constantly saw FedEx boxes empty, strewn around the city, uh, along with every other kind of trash or disposable item that you can imagine. But as we passed this FedEx box, I gave it a kick with my foot. I guess almost absent-mindedly, but just to see what would happen, because I think I noticed, uh, as I approached it, right before I kicked it, that the box was still what appeared to be sealed, meaning that the tear strip on this FedEx box had not been opened, and both sides were still closed. So as I gave it a kick, I was shocked to find it quite heavy. It provided a considerable amount of resistance to my foot. In fact, it didn't even really kick that much because I was expecting it to be empty or very light. And so I didn't kick it very hard and it barely even moved. Well, uh, I immediately knelt down and picked up this box. And uh, already I was surprised because it weighed... Now, see, I don't really know how many pounds... All I could do is compare it. It it was as heavy as a, um, at that time, uh, a city phone book. You know, a thick city phone book. It was as heavy as what you would imagine a very fancy, solid glass picture frame would be. And it was the size of these things. It was the size of, uh, well, you know how big those FedEx boxes are. It was probably, you know, uh, 16 inches by... Uh, I don't know, 10 inches or something like that, or, or I guess like the size of uh, a large, at that time, Life magazine, but much thicker. Um, <laughs> maybe like uh, like if you had a, 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 a USA Today, if you had two USA Today newspapers and you folded them both in half uh, really tight, on top of each other it was about that size and weight or maybe close to that anyway it was a a good heft and this was a sealed FedEx box with something very heavy inside of it or almost like a hardcover book like a nice big hardcover book you know I'd say at least 5 pounds so I scooped up the FedEx box and we took it around the corner by this diner to open it I'll be right back it's America WK
0: You're listening to America WK with Andrew WK on the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc and Skip. We are failing. We do not have a plan in Syria, which is
1: hard to believe, seeing how President Obama has said that Assad is a good guy, than a bad guy, than a good guy, than a bad guy, and we good or bad guy at this point. Skip, is he a good guy or bad guy? I, today? I think a bad guy as have of today. Checked? These are my frustrations. The people who don't get it:
0: Obama, Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton. The morning blaze with Doc and Skip, weekday mornings six to nine Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. The undisputed king of partying invites you to a no holds barred celebration of being alive. This is America WK with Andrew WK.
2: Welcome back to America WK. I'm in the process of telling you my story, Uh, a, a particular story. It's the first, if someone asked me, Andrew, do you have any really good stories? I'd say no, but the closest thing I have to maybe a really good story is the one I'm trying to tell you now. And I've already realized that I've been way too long-winded in telling it or I'm never going to get through it. So uh, to to recap uh, where we are so far in this story, I'm 18 years old, living in uh, in Brooklyn, New York City, with my girlfriend, walking around in Manhattan after work, uh, in Soho, the downtown neighborhood where I worked at this time, walking along Grand Street towards 6th Avenue, when my eye f- uh, spots in the gutter uh, next to the sidewalk, an unopened medium-sized FedEx box, still sealed. I kick it with my foot. I discover that it's considerably heavy. I scoop it up, take it around the corner by a diner called Moon Dance, and... Crouch down to open this box. Find out what was inside that was so heavy. Or just find out what's going on at all. Now, already, much like if you found some money on the ground, if you found anything that was clearly someone else's property that wasn't obviously trash, because once this box was heavy and still sealed, I realized that this was not probably thrown away as garbage. I did look around, and so began this sort of slightly uneasy feeling that, you know, why hadn't someone else found this? I mean, this must have just been dropped there or thrown there or accidentally misplaced there or fell off a truck, as sometimes things tend to do. So I was looking around a little bit, wondering if someone was already going to come out of the woodwork there on the street and say, hey, that's that's my FedEx box. Hey, hey, what are you doing? But there was really no one around. And this was in the middle of the day. I should make that very clear. This was not at night. This was not at an odd hour. This was in the afternoon, probably 3 o'clock or something during the week. But this is a strange street to a, to a slight sense. Uh, I mean, Grand Street as it goes into 6th Avenue. It's not... The, like a crazy area. I mean, it is a little bit. It's it's an odd area because Sixth Avenue is coming up from uh, this tunnel, and uh, you know, is kind of coming off the bridge, the Brooklyn Bridge. You're coming off Canal Street, the Manhattan Bridge. There, there is traffic there, but uh, it's not like Times Square or something. There was no other people around in a strange way, and you can have moments like that in these parts of downtown Manhattan, even during the day where there's just, there's activity and there's people, but it's not dense, which allowed us to have this whole experience unfold in the way that it did. Still, I looked around to see if anyone had dropped this box. Didn't see anybody. My girlfriend and I go around the corner. We start opening it. First thing that we noticed upon opening the top flap, and a lot of this reminds me of Charlie, Chocol- uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory as he's opening the the Wonka bar, looking for that gold ticket, the first thing I noticed was a lot of bubble wrap, which made sense because I had already envisioned that this heavy object might be glass because that's how heavy it was, like a glass picture frame or some kind of glass award or piece of art and uh this bubble wrap was so tightly packed inside this box that it was difficult to slide whatever this entire wrapped. Item was out of the box. It was too compacted and too jammed in there. So, the best we could do quickly was just sort of tear open the top of some of this bubble wrap while it was all still in the box, just to try to see what it was enclosing. What was it wrapped around? And uh, the next thing we noticed after tearing through some of this bubble wrap was that there was then a second layer. Of plastic wrap like saran wrap like you put over food that seemed odd then we tore through that again and there was uh well this white powder now before i even really noticed the white powder i could smell the white powder because it smelled like laundry detergent like kind of a like tide and i i recognized that smell right away and sure enough, it it must have been laundry detergent because I smelled it closely and you could even sort of feel that soapy texture when you rubbed it between your fingers. Why would someone wrap laundry detergent in all these layers? That's definitely when I saw that white powder, that's also when I started thinking, "Uh uh-oh, this is something intense. Well, peeled through a few more layers, again, crouching there next to this diner, eyes darting around looking uh, to see if anyone was watching us, my girlfriend and I, finally get through the last layer of wrapping inside this box and discover what, uh, even at my relatively tender age, I knew, undoubtedly, to be marijuana. And then it all made sense, at least in terms of the laundry detergent. That was to throw off the smell because the smell, once we hit pay dirt or pay weed... Once we hit that marijuana, it was such a strong smell. Now, I should state very clearly that at this age, I had never even tried marijuana, but I had been around people who smoked it. It was very popular, very, very popular where I grew up. I mean, in Ann Arbor, they had, and I believe still have every year, a marijuana festival called the Hash Bash. The pot culture and aroma was inescapable. So I knew it when I smelled it. And then it was clear that the detergent was to throw off and mask that pot smell cuz it was just reeking. I mean, once we broke that plastic seal, you could not stop the smell. We folded everything back up very quickly. Now, there was one little part of me that thought, "Well, maybe it's not pot, maybe it's these are herbs and spices, maybe it's oregano." But my girlfriend was much more savvy than I was with drugs because of her older brother and her family was a little more uh, liberal in that sense and participating with that culture. Maybe not themselves directly, but I was brought up uh, quite straight and narrow. Uh, But still, I knew what pot was, even though I had never tried it. I hadn't wanted to try it. I was more or less what you would call straight edge at that point in my life. But still, I was fascinated by drug culture, fascinated by drugs, and certainly fascinated by the idea that we might have just found what seemed like many pounds of pot on the sidewalk of New York City in a discarded FedEx box. That was also when I got much more frightened and looked around with much more panic and dread and paranoia that someone really did not want to leave this box here. This was not, this must have been an accident. Or maybe, is this a sting operation? Are there cops? Am I trying to be framed up? What is going on? Well, we jammed the box into my backpack and began walking up Sixth Avenue trying to figure out what we would do. The first thought that crossed my mind is we should just go and sell this as quickly as possible, which I don't know why I thought that, but. I guess I figured that someone else would know what to do with it, because I sure, certainly didn't. I didn't really have any friends. I had no cell phone at that time. I couldn't just start calling people. So we just thought we would walk to Washington Square Park in Manhattan, a few blocks away, and try to sell it to someone there. That's where people sold drugs. I mean, that was, that's, that was the, the scene, not so much anymore. But that was the place. I would even was willing to give it to someone for 20 bucks or even for free. It seemed like a shame to let it go to waste. So We started walking to Washington Square Park. This is America WK, I'm telling you this story. A party
0: for being alive. This is America WK with Andrew WK on the Blaze Radio Network. Pure Opelka with Michael Pelka. This week, Stephen Moore. Yes, that's Stephen Moore, the author, the guy from the Wall Street Journal and FreedomWorks. He's joining us to talk about Hillary and expose some of her evil plans. Plus, we'll talk microaggressions and trigger words and things that make the young kids very scared. Pure Opelka, Saturdays, 8 to 9 a.m. Eastern, on the Blaze Radio Network. This is America WK with Andrew
2: WK, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to America WK. This is Andrew WK, and I've been trying to tell you a story. Now, when I say a story, I keep saying a story, and that just sounds like some made-up thing. This is 100% true. I'm telling you one of uh, my only great life mini-adventures. The kind of story that it it all happened over the course of one day. It was something I never imagined would happen in a million years. Nothing like it has ever happened to me again since. And I don't imagine it ever will. And the story so far has taken us uh, back to when I was 18 years old. Had really only been living in New York City for a few months. Uh, Was in downtown Manhattan in the Soho neighborhood. Having just finished work for the day. Had met up with my girlfriend and was walking on Grand Street over to 6th Avenue, where I just, on the way had we discovered a, a, a sealed FedEx box containing, much to our amazement, as we opened it shortly thereafter, what appeared to be about five pounds of very potent-smelling marijuana. Now, again, as I already told you, I did not smoke marijuana at this time. In fact, I wasn't even interested in smoking marijuana. So this wasn't such a great discovery in that regards because I had no use for it personally. I was straight edge and quite vehement about not doing drugs or alcohol or anything. Um, I'm not really sure why. That was just what I thought at that time. And my girlfriend was more or less the same, although perhaps not as strict about it as I was. But it wasn't like we had just found $10,000 in cash that we could immediately go spend. We couldn't apply this to our life in a beneficial way as easily. Of course, I already could think of about a half a dozen people right there in the city that I knew would give anything, would just be head over heels to have found this and would love for me to give it to them. But I had no way to contact them at that moment. I didn't have a cell phone. I didn't have their phone numbers memorized. I had no way to get in touch with them. And I was already starting to panic because of just how strange it seemed that we had found this. I kept looking over my shoulder as we put the box of weed into my backpack and began walking uptown just thinking that, that someone is looking for this, someone is watching us, someone is trying to figure out already, darn it, these kids got my box. How, I, I got to get it back from them, but I can't expose you know, my identity to them or they can get the cops on me. I mean, I, I had very little experience with anything like this and really still have no experience with anything like this since. Well, at the first thing we thought, as I told you, We should just go sell this as quickly as possible. I don't know why we thought that. I had no experience selling or buying drugs in any way. We just went to the drug center point of downtown Manhattan, Washington Square Park, where we thought we could sell it. Um, Of course, as soon as we got there, I just realized this was way too intense. Again, this was the middle of the day on a weekday. The park was very busy. It wasn't as crawling with cops um, in that area as it is now. They hadn't completely cracked down on the drug dealing uh, to the degree that they have these days. But still, I was just completely out of my element. My girlfriend and I had no rapport or uh, swagger with which we could sell that quantity of pot. I mean, that was thousands and thousands of dollars worth back then. I would have happily taken a hundred hours for it. I mean, I, I think it really was about five to 10 pounds heavy, like a phone book. We completely panicked. We realized we wouldn't be able to sell it at least not to some stranger in the park. So we decided to go home and, and just sort of regroup and figure out what we were going to do with this heavy backpack full of pot. We got on the subway And that's when it really hit me in that more enclosed area. We had just been outside. And as I told you, as soon as we opened that box, the smell of pot, even outside, was just staggering. Even with it all being wrapped up, we just tore the littlest corner open through this uh, detergent that was meant to throw off the scent. It smelled so strong. You could smell it wafting in the air. just from that little opening in this bag so as we got on the subway it was even more intense in this enclosed subway space I got very very paranoid then because it was very obvious I mean people were looking at us people were looking around trying to find where that pot smell was coming from it smelled like someone was burning uh, a bonfire of marijuana on the subway but it was hard to tell if I was getting paranoid or we were letting our imaginations kind of run away with itself, with themselves. I mean, it was uh, already a very stressful situation and really nothing was happening. We managed to get back to our apartment and sort of take a breather and calm down. But again, already I was looking out the window to see if we had been followed there. Felt really on edge, really uneasy. And again, I wasn't even smoking pot. And this paranoia was heavy in the air. We took everything out of the box, which, again, was one big brick of pot. I would say, again, at least five pounds. We completely unwrapped it, which was, was a, a bit messy because there was this, again, this laundry detergent that kind of spilled out everywhere that was being used to mask the smell. We took one little corner of this brick and broke it off entirely. So we had this, I don't know, two-inch by three-inch little piece of condensed jam-packed pot, and we started to break that piece up. That little piece out of this, you know, probably, it was probably the equivalent of one twentieth of this entire brick. Once we broke it up, was enough to fill half of my kitchen table. That's how dense, how much pot there was here. I mean, more than I could ever have imagined, and and more than I've ever seen since. And I've seen people with huge quantities since. I've never seen. This much. I even then I tried to take that little piece that I'd started breaking up once I realized how much it was and how much it was breaking up and turning into. I tried to take that piece and, and flush it down the toilet. It wouldn't flush down the toilet. It, it, it started to expand and and, and like a sponge and, and clogged the toilet. It got all jammed up. I flushed and flushed and flushed. I eventually just took it out of the toilet. And put it in the sink and just let it sit there. This was when I really started to panic because I wanted to just get rid of this now. Um, I called everybody I could think of, not only in New York, but back home in Michigan. And no one was home. Perhaps the first time that no one answered their phones. I mean, it was, again, all answer machines. No one had a cell phone. None of my friends, at least. And I couldn't really leave a message. I didn't even want to really say what it was. Over the phone lines, this paranoia was growing stronger and stronger. Maybe I was right for being that paranoid. Who knows? But I just said, hey, I really think you should call me. I found something. I think you would really like it if you're willing to drive up here. But I couldn't get a hold of anyone. I decided to go uh, out, get some air, and walk around the block I tell you, and I'm not exaggerating, even down the block, many, many yards away from my house, you could smell this pot. I mean, this is starting to sound like Macbeth here with uh, bloody hands out damn spot. I am telling you, I could smell it all the way down the street. When you walked back into our apartment building, it was insane. It was completely over the top. So thick. That's when I said, this is, wait, I can't keep this. We can't even keep this in the house. Something's going to happen here. I started to completely panic. I was sweating. I was literally sweating from fear and paranoia. And again, I didn't, even, I didn't even smoke pot. It's America WK. I'll be right back.
0: This is America WK with your friend and mine, Andrew WK. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Chris Salcedo. You want to talk about Hillary Clinton? Show of hands. Hillary Clinton? <laughs> Don't all volunteer at once. Well, something good about Hillary Clinton, I can assure you that. Let's talk about uh, Cruz first. Uh, by the way, speaking of Mr. Cruz, the latest polling show him surging, uh, polls rather, show him surging into second place nationally. Chris Salcedo, Saturdays, noon to 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Blaze Radio Network. The only radio show restoring your faith in humanity through the power of positive partying. This is America WK with Andrew WK.
2: Welcome back to America WK. This is Andrew WK. I've been sharing with you the story about the time when I was 18 years old living in New York City that I found with my girlfriend about 5 to 10 pounds of marijuana on the street in a box in the gutter. It's really, it really still just blows my mind that any of this happened. Um, and uh, I guess we're getting to the conclusion of the story now. Uh, after trying to or considering trying to sell the pot to a stranger in Washington Square Park, my girlfriend and I thought better of that stupid idea and decided to go home and see if we couldn't get a hold of some friend that would want this because again at the time I did not smoke pie I had no interest in it wanted it out of my house it smelled so strong it was so tightly packed it was so dense high grade marijuana it was throwing me into a paranoid panic attack the smell upon entering just the lobby of my apartment building just from a small piece of the of the pot broken up and put on my kitchen table was enough to actually smell the marijuana all the way down the street. And again, we hadn't lit it. We hadn't smoked any of it. We just took the smallest percentage of it just to see how densely packed it really was and broke it up and put it on the kitchen table. You could smell it. Again, I'm not exaggerating. I'm really not. All the way down the block. Now again, maybe I am exaggerating or my mind was playing tricks on me because I was really getting scared, really looking over my shoulder, looking through the blinds, inside my apartment out onto the street to see if anyone was had followed us, anyone was trying to track down the package that they had lost. I mean, I was really trying to figure out how this had all happened with someone being pursued, and they, they panicked and threw it in the gutter and then wanted to go back and retrieve it, and they saw us get it. So that's the thing I was most scared of, not that the cops were going to necessarily come or someone was going to call the cops because they smelled this. I just thought someone had seen us take their package and wanted it back. This was a lot of money in marijuana. And again, I just out of all the times in my life, I don't think I'd ever had a harder time getting a hold of a, of my friends on the phone than this day, this day when each one of these friends would have loved to have had even one percent of the marijuana that we found, let alone all 10 pounds, however much it was. 5 pounds, 10 pounds, 15 pounds. I have no way to to really know how much it really was in terms of weight, except that it was the weight of a telephone book. So no one was answering their phone. No one was returning the phone calls. I walked around the block, panicked, and eventually, like uh, some would say like a complete idiot, I packed all the pot back up into the FedEx box, sealed it back up as best I could, and I threw these pounds of marijuana, into the dumpster across the street from our house. And at that moment, a great weight lifted off my shoulders. I didn't feel bad about it. I didn't feel good about it. I just felt like it was done. And uh, the sun eventually set. The smell of the pot eventually left our house. The toilet eventually became unclogged when I had tried to flush that small piece of ever-expanding marijuana down the drain. And the next morning, I woke up to many returned phone calls and, and friends just completely shocked that I had thrown away what to them had been the greatest find that anyone could have ever found, besides money, I suppose. And of course, they immediately told me to go get it out of the dumpster. And out of my own curiosity, I went and looked at the dumpster and the dumpster was still there, and all the trash that I had remembered being there the day before when I put the box in was still there, but the box was gone. The box itself was gone. Now, I know dumpster diving is not uncommon in New York City especially. People scavenge all the time for things, and I had almost intentionally put the box sort of in a conspicuous place where it was easy to reach but I always wondered if maybe the person who had been tracking us trying to get the box back had uh just went and got it once they saw us put it out there. But whoever got it I'm sure was very happy. And there was something about that that made me happy. The idea that someone else got to have the same experience that I just had in discovering this once in a lifetime box of marijuana. And maybe they would have something better to do with it or would enjoy it more than I was able to because for me it just made me panic and I swear that for many months after that day I noticed a very particular undeniable pot smell wafting up and down that block and I figured that whoever found it probably lived on that block And I had my suspicions about who maybe found it. The owner of the video store on the corner. The owner of the toy store next to him. Who was a rather unusual gentleman. But hopefully whoever did find it was able to really get some kind of joy out of it. Or maybe just get some money out of it. All I got out of it was paranoia. And I didn't even smoke it. And I still got paranoid. Well... That's my story. That's the, really the only interesting story I have. And now, having told it, it just seems boring. It seems long-winded, not very interesting, not very, <laughs> not very climactic. It's probably the most anticlimactic story of all time. I found a bunch of pot, and then I just threw it away. <laughs> it, it sucks. Anyway, it's uh, been nice telling it to you. I hope that it wasn't too boring, and uh, thanks for partying with me always. This has been America WK. Talk to you soon. Bye.
0: This is America WK, hosted by your friend and mine, Andrew WK. Only on the Blaze Radio Network.